Welcome back to the Hidden Jewels podcast. Today, we are so thrilled to share with you our conversation with Stephanie Miller. She is a former teacher, a survivor of breast cancer, a car accident survivor, which is a miraculous story. And she's a licensed family and marriage counselor specializing in substance abuse. Today, she asks us, do you want to be made whole? Just like Jesus asked. Let's get to it. I am so excited today to have our new sweet friend, Stephanie Miller, with us. We've just been chatting, Stephanie, and I am already inspired, which so often happens when we do this podcast, and I just cannot wait for our listeners to hear your story. Stephanie, welcome. Welcome, 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 Stephanie. Thank you, thank you. So happy to be here. Uh, Stephanie, we met you through our mutual friend, Valerie Bryant. And um, so we're excited because we all love Valerie. And she said, you've got to talk to my friend, Stephanie. So um, let's just get started. You, um, why don't you just start? Let's just talk about your early life and um, start your journey there. My early life, my early life, um, in Houston, Texas, I'm a native. <laughs> we're, we're pretty like a Miss Cosmopolitan type town. Um, yeah. And I was born into a family with, I had both mother and father. My father was 18 years older than my mother. So that was really exciting. Uh, and a lot of extended family that lived uh, in Louisiana. We were here in Texas. Now, my we had split families in that I had an older brother and sister uh, from my mom's previous marriage that was old enough to be my mother or father. Go figure, right? So in my house, I was the only girl with three boys. But yet and still, I had nieces and nephews, which could have been my brothers and sisters. So we had, um, in our family... Faith was number one, family was second. And we learned how to accept differences. And my mom and dad believed that we also needed to help strengthen everyone and work toward other people's strengths. Uh, the reason why I would say that early on, I was always, I don't know, I guess a nerdy kid. Uh, my mom had me learn how to play piano, which I found out later on in my faith walk that it was one of the best things she could do to have me uh, become a more balanced person. And I had an opportunity early on to be one of the, the first students in the high school of performing and visual arts. Well, a lot of people would have said, yes, yeah, but for my mom, that was a no. For my mom, for even me going to a private school, that was a no. Why? Because she felt it was so important that all of her children remain together in the same home with the same experiences so that we can help one another. So that was always important to me. Um, my father was, was older at this time, so he was in his age of wisdom. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If we're older. Is that what I mean? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I her story is about the young John Lee, but 
he was he he was in his wiser years. And one of the things that I I do I love about him is how gentle he was with me and my nieces. Uh, he treated us as queens. He told us the importance of being women. Uh, I remember when it was time when we were to get married, he would look at the, the young man and he said, okay, I'm telling you this, I've already raised her. He said, so there's no need for you to, you know, try to treat her differently. If you can't treat her right, if you have to talk ugly to her or put your hands on her, bring her right back home. And yeah. then he tell us, yeah, he did. He would tell us, oh no, uh-uh. Don't, don't ever let, you know, a man do that to you. So that's why now, even in some of the work that I do, I'm not amazed. It surprises me and saddens me how many young women and men don't know that um, being respectful of others is something that we should do. You know, how you talk to them, how you mm -hmm. let people talk to you, and especially not putting your hands on them. But um, that was a blessing, you know, having yeah. older people like that. My mother, on the other hand, she was a person in the church that always told it like it was. She was the, the woman that um, was over the Easter speeches and the Christmas speeches. She baked the pies and everything to sell. And um, what she did was she, she instilled in me and others that early experience of public speaking. So, you know, hey, we could get up and we could say hello, you know, we could speak uh, extemporaneously or whatever from the very uh, get-go. And then she was also very, very passionate when it came to women, to teach women about how to be wives and mothers. Um, her mother passed when she was seven. So she was raised by her grandmother. And my mom said, even though uh, her, her, her grandmother and others were midwives, they didn't tell her that much about sex. Mm -hmm. So she made it her business to tell us about it. <laughs> and I remember during our senior year, yes, yeah, since she was the older mother, my girlfriends, you know, their mothers let them come over to the house and my mother would kind of sit around and she told us about life and those yeah. things, you know, which we know now to be boundaries, right? <laughs> what we yeah. should do. And so I learned about how important it was for women to come together because I grew up in a Baptist church and we had these circle meetings, you know, where they had the different groups of women and we would go to each, you know, they would go to each other's house and then they would, you know, have the lessons and sing and then share for one another. So it's just learning how to be hospitable, how to learn. Uh, so those are the things that I grew up with. And I try now, even though it's real different in 2022, you know, to try to at least give my my daughters and their friends, um, the experience of, of having that fellowship with like-minded women. Yeah. Mm. And multi-generational too. Multi-generational, very, very important. Um, I mentioned earlier that because um, my family's folks were from Louisiana, we knew them, you know, so we would always go visit, you know, it was very important 
for us to even know for those that had passed on, even going, I mean, it's not Mormon. It, it, it's more of, I think, of a more um, sacred space. Like, okay, here, this is where, you know, they are buried. This is how the lineage goes. As a matter of fact, there's a, a church in Florine, Louisiana, which is, I think, about 125 years old that um, my great-grandmother and others were founders of that church. And so every second Sunday in October, that's homecoming. Yeah. We don't get to go every year, but we do go. And it, it's really, um, it's it's a joy and, and an honor to go and to hear, you know, hear the names of our people that have come before. So multi-generational is so important to me. And I'm glad you brought that up because, um, I think too much of that is being lost. Uh, as a matter of fact, you laugh, Roxanne, when you talk about Carter as the one, you know, the, the person that's behind all this. Well, I, I had to learn how to do some of that when my oldest daughter went off to college. And I used to pay her to do my presentations. Yeah. And so I, then she said, well, mom, what you going to do when I'm going to college? And then I'm going like, oops, I guess I better do this thing. And I have. So a lot of my friends are your age. Yeah. You know? And then a lot of my friends, like my age, like especially during COVID, I'm saying, oh, you know, we can get together and have parties on, you know, via Zoom or whatever. And they're like, I'm saying, you know, they're so old. Old. <laughs> <laughs> you so old. Don't you know we could be doing work? But it's so funny. I just love it. But I do love multi-generational because it keeps me, I think, I think it'll keep me young. What mm -hmm. do you think? Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, the mind, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. The benefits are are both ways, right? Mm -hmm. Um I love yeah. that that legacy of your family is passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. And then um, and we for sure can can learn from the younger generations, just like my son actually does all the real techie stuff on this podcast. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> and my grandson, my grandson is into animation. Now that's such a, you know, he's he'll come in, he calls me Jeesh. Uh, that's another thing. We we all had special pet names. And uh -huh. then my mom, not Tyler Perry, my mom was the real Medea, real uh -huh. sweet. You know, and all that. So, so one of my brothers said, "Oh, you can call your grandma." I said, "Stop. He's going to call me what he wants to call me." So I, we didn't say anything, and God gave him the name Jeesh. I love it. I, I used to talk to him about Jesus all the time. I oh. said, "I'm Jeesh." I love it. I, I love it. it. <laughs> That's precious. Yeah. So. You mentioned you were kind of nerdy. That's what you said. And uh, yeah, nothing to be ashamed of there. Um, and so you mentioned earlier that you uh, started your career as a teacher. I did. Yeah. I, did. I started as an elementary school teacher. I just knew that I loved teaching. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I had a minor in math because I'm, I was very good at math and science, mm -hmm. chemistry more so than anything else. But I didn't, I never, God never, let's put it this way, God never put it on my heart just to specialize and focus on one area. For me, it's always more of an integration, more of a yeah. system 
how do things fit together? So I did not settle for elementary school. I chose elementary school because I found it as the perfect opportunity to teach the children how all things work together. Love that. Um, I asked for third grade. Uh-huh, but I asked for third grade, first of all, because I love cursive writing. <laughs> but I also knew that that was a pivotal grade, that if children didn't have the right teacher in third grade, uh, it could cause them not to love learning and it would affect the rest of their, their career. So I did. And um, my, first, my first class, 29 students, 26 were boys. Oh, they wow. were not best students because I took the place of a teacher who retired. And um, my coworkers apologized a year later, saying that they had come and, you know, shuffled the files and oh, gave wow. me those that they didn't want. No problem. God will. <laughs> God worked miracles with those with those children, and I really, really love doing that. Yeah, and I, I think what what I did is I was able to help uh, by example to show them different ways of doing things so that they can all become better. Because I mean, what is it? What's that scripture talks about? Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, you know, we need to do that. I'm I'm not a jealous person. And I don't want anyone ever to feel intimidated or, or jealous by me. Uh, and so my thing is this, I, I keep myself open to questions. Now I will qualify. I said, you can ask me what you want. Are you sure you really want the answer? Mm, right. <laughs> yeah, truth, yeah. So. so tell us some more stories of God's faithfulness through your, through your years. Oh God! Okay, where do I start? Well, getting the first teaching job was God's faithfulness uh, because that was during the time in Houston ISD they had what they call a singleton ratio in which the um, ethnic population of of the teachers was supposed to represent that of the students. So it was, at the time it was 80% white, 50% black. Yeah. So you couldn't get a job, right? Mm. And so I, I worked in corporate for a while until God opened up the door where I got the ones that I wanted, right? Mm. Okay, so then when we talk about um, God's faithfulness in, in my life, um, well, he was he was faithful in many ways, even through college. Uh, I I do believe that sometimes when you talk about being a nerd, um, it was a blessing in some ways, a curse because I had to learn time management. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, when it came down to things where I really had to study, right? Um, God was faithful uh, toward me during the time I was pregnant with my first daughter. I was very sick a couple of times. Um, five and a half months pregnant, my fever spikes. Uh, it's a 102 and climbing. And the husband at the time, God bless his soul, he passed away uh, last year, about a year ago. And uh, he took me to my mom's, right? Mm -hmm. So it's time to go to the emergency room. And I found out 
that I had an E. coli bacterial infection in the oh hospital for, for about 10 days. Wow. And, you know, they were coming and listening to the baby's heartbeat. And one time the nurse came, I could tell she was nervous, didn't, didn't hear anything. And I just said, wake up, wake up. I said, these people, these people don't know that you're, you're alive. You've got to show up, turn around and wake up. So I'm talking to, talking to her in the womb. And she did. And everything was okay. And I named her Patience. Oh, I love it. Because not only that, not only that, I was medically documented that I was allergic to pregnancy. Really? To pregnancy? Second, second, third trimester breakout everywhere except for my belly and my face. And uh, I let I, I I was a guinea pig at a dermatology conference in VA hospital. And that's when the doctor came back, because, you know, they just looked and saw my case study. They said, you're just allergic to pregnancy. Listen, when you see that little bundle of joy, you're going to forget everything. Sure enough, that happened. That's why 14 years, different husband, and 14 years later, God, am I going to do this again? Same thing. Really? I have never heard of anybody being allergic to pregnancy. Since then, I've shared I've shared the story not as much, but since I have I shared the story, I have heard of two other women. Mm. Two other women. So, so so the baby is all right. You just suffer an allergic reaction through the pregnancy. It's sort of like a it's sort of like a it, it's the hormones. It throws the hormones off, and and it was a rash that would turn red and different and. Just all over. And when I say I'm miserable, now, not only that, not only that, when I was in the hospital, they treated me, you know, with ampicillin, IV, and then, see, I remember all these things, gentamicin, IV push. Ha ha, ha ha, penicillin. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so God was faithful. And I'm telling you through all of that, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't realize then, but I was able to keep a smile on my face to keep up and to do those things because the, I truly do know that the joy of the Lord is, is my strength. So, so that was a real interesting thing where God was just faithful and, you know, and then he's, he's blessed me in so many other ways of meeting people and, you know, and being able to do things. Uh, but I think a lot of people in, in Valerie, may have shared or maybe she wanted me to share this that my how can I put this my deliverance during that car accident was supernatural mm, yeah tell us about that well there was drizzling rain like I told you and mm -hmm. I, I had my I, I was had an earpiece on because I was talking to uh, an elderly woman who, mm -hmm. who worked at the church I had worked at previously. And I I heard a voice. And I'll tell you that voice is the Holy Spirit. A lot of people may not believe that, but I, I know it to be real. Mm -hmm. Said, look to your left. And at that very moment, I saw a car at hydroplane and it was spinning toward me. It looked like a missile. And the voice just told me calmly to... Um, Hold my foot steady on the brake 
and keep my hands straight. Mm -hmm. uh, at the point of impact, I didn't lose consciousness, but the airbag did not deploy. Mm -hmm. If the airbag had deployed, it would have snapped my neck completely. Mm -hmm. Because it was bilateral, you know, C2 fracture right at the, the, the brain stem. So as I'm composing myself, I'm just thinking that my foot is jammed. I didn't know it was smashed, okay? Crushed. Wow. And I said, oh, my head is kind of wobbly. So I, so I do this. And I kept it like that. Huh. That's setting me from being paralyzed because C2 fracture it's called a hangman's fracture. And right at that brain stem, that uh, controls our breathing, our heartbeat, everything. So that's why when they go snap, that's most people will pass away. And it was during that time that I'm telling you, I felt the presence of God just all over me, just a warmth. And I just remember just, um, you know, just reciting psalms. I remember the psalms, just re reciting the psalms. Mm. Up until such time that the people came and took me out of the car. Okay, so so it's a so the airbag not deploying ultimately saved your life, and and usually we want the airbag to deploy. But did you say that you raised your arm and that helped there. that helped the hangman's fracture? Mm -hmm. Not because it's like it's like me having a brace to keep my head, my own head steady. Wow. Because I felt like I said, oh, my my felt my head was just, you know, kind of wobbling, unsteady. And so this is while you're trapped in your car. Mm-hmm. You decided and I found out that the steering wheel was like maybe six inches off of my chest. Door so, and in the, the picture, there's like a big dent in the right over my head and the door. They had to take the jaws of life to take them. Okay, so you're putting your arm up to hold your head, and you don't realize God's using that to deliver your life, right? No, not at all. Wow, not all. And it wasn't until um, my okay, I was midway in uh, Columbus, Texas, okay? And so they had to stabilize me there. And uh, evidently in the other car, someone was thrown out. So the doctor said, you can either go to Austin or go to Houston. Why would I go to Austin? <laughs> it's like, take me home. So once they got me stabilized, they had to find a hospital to send me to. Mm -hmm. um, one was on drive-by status and then the other was not. So I ended up going to Bentop. Another miracle, my primary care physician had a resident that he was working with, working in the ER at the time that they brought me there. Wow. I'm telling you, it was just like God all over this thing. Yes, Miss Roxanne, I it was it was something else. And it took me, I think um Carney, you asked me how long did it take me? It took me. Um, I had a provider for a year, an entire year. Mm -hmm. I started um, going on, you know, an ambulance and then to taxi to 
eventually to her car. It took me a year to learn how to walk all over again. Wow. Um, and then physical therapy just to keep everything moving. Um, when I was still in the hospital, right before uh, I was to be released, uh, been taught as a teaching hospital, so teams would come and go. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman came in and he sat by me. I didn't recognize his face and he's just going through the chart and he said, you got up. I said, yeah, I did. I said, you told me to. And he said, most people in your condition don't get up. And I said, why? Why not? Now, mind you, with a fracture like that and having surgery, it did take a while because I had to lay flat and then eventually 45, then I had to learn how to turn over, then I had to learn how to push myself up. Yeah, it was painful. It was a bit much, okay? Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to slide. I had a transfer board to the chair. And I said, so what happens to these people that don't get up? He simply said, they don't get better. I said, what? And I said, oh, I said, that's not an option. I said, doctor, I'll make you a deal. I said, if you manage this pain that I have, I'll do what it takes to get better. Now, I am so thankful to God wearing, working where I am now, you know, working with people with um, um, substance addiction, some alcohol, some drugs, some, you know, not of their own, you know, making. Some is just prescription drugs that I'm not in the 15%. I'm not in the 85%. I'm in the 85%. 85% of the people aren't affected by addiction. 15% are. Mm -hmm. And there's a hereditary component to that. You know, mm -hmm. one parent is an addict, then are say addiction prone, let's put it that way, then there is a 40% chance that one of the children will become an okay. addict. If both are, it goes up to 80%. So thank God I'm not that person, but I've been able to help some of the patients here that deal with chronic pain because pain has been part of my life for, for years since then. I've just now gotten to the point where uh, I found someone, uh, I transferred everything, by the way, to Baylor College of Medicine because that's where my breast cancer was treated. And now I have a wonderful doctor that utilizes some of the new techniques to deal with my pain where I haven't had to take a pain pill in two years. Oh, wow. Uh, but it used to be a time that if I knew I had to go make a presentation, if I knew I had to go somewhere where I could walk or stand or something like that, I had to take something, uh, have a hard time navigating stairs, you know, those types of things. However, I was able to get to the point where I could maneuver most days without any assistive devices. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was Did you tell us how long you were in the hospital? A month. Okay. Uh, I got to reiterate for the listener. They might read the show notes, but I got to reiterate. Those that don't get up, don't get better. That was you physically. But that is a lot of us emotionally. That's when we've been beat up by life. 
those that don't get up don't get better. I'm telling look, I'm telling you, I feel I feel goosebumps right now. Because even in my even even in my private practice, when it comes to people that'll come to me, and, and for those now, now I was trained, you know, in a seminary, but I don't necessarily put the moniker uh Christian counselor. Right. Right, right. Okay. But those that come now, you know that we were able to use that as part of what our plan. Mm -hmm. So I use a lot of scripture for those, you know, who accept it and they're willing. And the scripture mm -hmm. that comes is when Jesus as will thou be made whole. Mm -hmm. You've got to want it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got to want it. You've got, sometimes we have to what? Press in. And then other times it's the lesson in learning um, as we go through these things. Now, I'm thankful that my Baptist preacher that I grew up with, he was a scholar. So we learned the word, but we also, you know, had the other part of, you know, community working together and helping us. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm telling you, girl. Uh, I'm going to use this in quite a bit of my coaching. You put after that, you said, you have got to want it. That's right. You have got to want it. Because you know what? I can't make you whole. Mm -hmm. You can't make you whole. But in cooperation with the healer, we can be made whole. But it starts with our wanter. This is giant. Good news for people, and and in my and in my coaching too, and in my coaching and and counseling, depending on you know the situation, I'll say, okay, now if you want it, I'm going to help you. If you want it, if you want it, I'm going to help you. And then and then I tell them, I said, and I promise you, if you do the things that are asked of you, you will get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think, um, sometimes I think we tend to, uh, take on, um, the, the injuries, the wounds of our life as our identity. And we're not even sure who we are apart from those. Right. So I was just thinking like, why do we ever choose? Why would anybody say, no, I don't want to get better. But and then I think, if, you take, if you take that away, not, not think about it. Yeah. Like say for instance, oh, I'm the I'm the poor, I'm the widow woman that I have all of these children, and then and then oh I, I, I feel the joy of everyone just giving to me and they're doing this, and then eventually that season ends. But okay, so look at me, I've got my children, who's gonna help me? Well, we can either stay there or else we can go what now some some I'm quite sure someone has said. What are you going to do now? What would you like to do? What are some gifts? Let me do that. That's still a gift, but you have to what? Want that. Yes. I yes. cannot believe how many gold nuggets you've already given us. And honestly, Stephanie, I want to talk to you about 10 more hours, okay? <laughs> however, however, we do wrap these up. And if you could wrap up by saying one last word to your younger self or to the younger generation. To leave them with an encouraging word, what would that word be? 
what would you tell your 20 something self or the yeah, the, the, you know, and I do have a lot of 27 somethings. Um, I will say this. We all go through seasons in our lives, and it really takes us about 27 years to know who we are, who, what we want, who we want, and what God wants for us. And if you want joy in your life, if you want the best life possible, you have to be able to give the gift of goodbye to people and things mm -hmm. that are just there for a season mm -hmm. and a reason. And you have to have courage with faith in God and those who will come along the way to help you to go to what the next season of your life. And that, and I will tell you, there is no reason not to have joy and to have uh, good things come, but also embrace the suffering. Mm -hmm. Because it is during those times in my life where it wasn't as good That's that right. I've learned things that have served me and my children and my grandchildren well for the years yes so i don't say there are good days and bad days for me i say there are good days there'll be good days and some not so good days you'll have good friends and you have some not so good friends you have good experience and not so good but in all things just know that they all play a part they're working together and learn from it. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll say is this. If you ever have someone say, no, God is sovereign. We should never question him. That's not true because he loves each and every one of us so much, just like our own parents, hopefully, and our <laughs> own children. Just if we say, hey, come to me, ask me whatever, tell me what you need. Just know that our father in heaven feels the same way. He does. That's right. That's right. He takes us right where we are. He yes, accepts he does. us. Yeah. yeah. He does. Love mm -hmm. that. And there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing too hard for God. And my mother said, everything that you've heard before, do you have faith? If you believe it, just know. Hey, just trust it. That's all you can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Thank you, Stephanie, so much. Um, this has been so good and I'm with Roxanne. I want to talk for a lot longer because <laughs> we didn't even get to some of the things we thought we would talk about. So well, maybe um, down the road, I know you guys have so many other people, but just feel free to contact me. Yes. Well, you, you are a jewel. Thank you. For, thank you for your yeah. time to invest yeah. in others. Not yeah. only the investment of this time here on our podcast, but the time that I know you're investing in others through your life well-lived. Well, I pray that your faith has been bolstered after listening to Stephanie's amazing story of God's faithfulness in her life. And oh my goodness, all the wisdom she shared. Make sure you check out the show notes for 
all of the golden nuggets and also ways to get in touch with Stephanie and Roxanne and myself. We are so glad that you join us here on this podcast. It is such a blessing to us if you share and subscribe. And until next time, you are a precious jewel in the eyes of Jesus. Your story matters. Let the world see you so that they may see him. Thank you.